Hey, everyone. This weekend, we recognize an event that took place 50 days after the resurrection, a holiday that was celebrated for about 1,500 years, even before Jesus arrived on the scene. I pray that I'll be able to bring to you in a very clear, distinct way, easy to understand, the significance of the holiday that the church has come to call Pentecost. To the Israelites, that holiday was, a, was seen as a fulfillment of God, the promise that he made to Moses. If you remember the conversation that Moses had with God at the burning bush, God uses this burning bush to get Moses' attention. He speaks to Moses out of that burning bush and pretty much commissions him to go back to Egypt to um, be an answer to prayer from the Israelites that had been enslaved there for over 400 years. In that conversation, Moses is kind of looking for some kind of a guarantee from God, like, what am I doing here? Like, I've been 40 years in this wilderness. He's gotten used to things. We could tell that he might have even forgotten about what his experience in Egypt had been like because God has to use a burning bush to get his attention. He's so focused on the season that he's in at that point in his life. He's 80 years old at this time. And so in the conversation, God says to him, one of the ways I'm going to confirm that it is I who is speaking to you and that you're going to be successful is that once you free the Israelites out of bondage, you're going to come back to this very mountain that I'm speaking to you from right now. And you say, well, how much of a confirmation is that? He says, so you'll know when you come back here and you worship me with the Israelites that it was me. So the fact is they experienced the first Passover. They leave Egypt that night. He brings them to Mount Sinai to worship God. It happens just like God had told Moses. And at Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the law. Detailing. This is a, a set of, uh, I don't want to use the real, really the word rules. He uses it as a set of guidelines. Not that they're suggestions, they're commandments. But basically what he's saying to this new group of individuals, this nation of Israel, is that from this point forward, this is how we're going to relate to each other. And he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. So basically, Pentecost, the Feast of Shavuot, is commemorating the giving of the law from God to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, this can only take place after Passover because Passover is very significant because of the blood that was shed, the blood of the lambs. And we know that that points to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives Moses the law, details that this is how the people are related to him from this point on. Because of the sin, the very first sin of Adam and Eve, from that point forward, no one could come into God's presence without blood. There has to be some type of blood that's shed. And so before you can experience a Pentecost, you have to experience a Passover. The blood's got to get shed first before we can have that experience at Pentecost. Now, we fully understand that the blood of the Lamb is just a foreshadow. It's a picture of something to come in the future. That is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who carried upon himself, according to Isaiah 53, all the sin of the world. 
Therefore, our born-again relationship with God had to be initiated by the blood of the cross. Just like this new relationship that God was entering into with an entire nation now. You remember the Israelites had gone into Egypt. There were only 70 individuals. Well, 400 years later, 400, 400 to 430 years later, they come out. Bible commentators say there's anywhere from two and a half to three million people. They're a nation now. They went in a family. They came out a nation. And so now this nation needs a constitution and God gives them, here's your constitution. This is how you are to relate to me and gives them the Ten Commandments and all the other uh, rituals and commandments as far as feasts to observe. And one of those feasts ends up being the Feast of Pentecost. So our relationship with God had to be initiated by the blood of the cross. And this also was a type and shadow that was seen first in the Old Testament. When the priests were consecrated in the Old Testament, blood was applied to them. We could say it this way. They were anointed with blood in order for them to be anointed with holy oil. The blood obviously representing Calvary, the oil representing the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We're first, when the blood comes first, and then the oil. First the cleansing by blood, and then the anointing by oil. Blood is pretty much symbolic of Jesus' sacrifice. Oil is always symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now because of Jesus' sacrifice made once for all time, we don't come to God with blood. In the age that we live in now, in the church age, in this New Testament age, we don't come with blood, but we come based on the blood and in the name of the Lord Jesus. All that he accomplished at the cross gives us access. Remember what it says in Hebrews 4.16? It gives us access with boldness to come to the throne of grace. So first Passover, then Pentecost. First the cross, then the fire. First Jesus, then the Holy Spirit. Passover is about death that brought us freedom. Pentecost is about freedom that brings us power. At Calvary, Jesus was required to submit his will. Calvary requires submission. Jesus said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Pentecost requires an obedient church. Jesus said to the disciples, do, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my Father. We're going to talk about it even more. In a few minutes, Jesus instructed the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive this promise. You remember in John chapter 7, starting in verse 37, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, this is talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from the innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39 clarifies that picture. But this he, Jesus said in reference to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given at that point in time, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Remember what we just talked about. Jesus first had to go to the cross before the presence of the Holy Spirit could come. We have to have Passover before we have Pentecost. We have to have Calvary, the cross, before we can experience the oil of the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit reminds us and assures us that Jesus keeps his promises. Remember what he said. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said to them, but you shall receive power. 
I'm going to read this from the Amplified Classic Version. But you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come up on you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. Ten days after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the blessed promise, the Holy Spirit, and obedient disciples were all filled and Peter declared, this is it. This is the promise. This is what Jesus had promised them 10 days prior. Peter is seeing it with his own eyes. He's experiencing himself. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, again from the Amplified Classic Version. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all assembled together in one place. When suddenly there came a sound from heaven like, a, like the rushing of a violent tempest blast. And it filled the whole house in which they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were separated and distributed and which settled on each one of them. And they were all filled, diffused throughout their souls with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other different foreign languages, tongues, as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression. I want to repeat that phrase again. As the Spirit kept kept giving them clear and loud expression in each tongue in appropriate words. Notice this. It is not a one-time experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is received once, but it extends to the rest of our lives. He kept giving them clear and loud expression. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, you receive it once, but it extends until the until as long as we're here on earth, as long as you are here on earth, as long as I am here on earth, the presence of the Holy Spirit will always be active in my life. This baptism, this infilling, this efficiency, this power that I received, I can experience it over and over and over again. Why? Because it now has become part of me. This is the day that the church was born, and it was born in a blaze of glory, in a spectacular outpouring from heaven. And at the catching away of the church, it will be in a blaze of glory, and that's how the church will be transformed. As we saw in last week's message, four components of a balanced life. The life of a Christian doesn't only involve preparation for eternity. I went into much detail last weekend how Calvary, the cross, the blood of Jesus, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that prepares us for heaven. We're going to heaven, not because of what you've done, what I've done. We're going because of what Jesus has done. But Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church is what equips the church. And the church is not a building. The church is you and I. We are the church. And without this Pentecostal experience, without this baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said they were not prepared. My prayer is that if you have not yet experienced this second experience that Jesus promised us after salvation, you're probably experiencing some frustrations in life. You're probably feeling like, yeah, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I feel like something's missing here. Something on earth is missing. Maybe you don't feel like you're equipped to do what Jesus wants the church to do. I would advise you. I would encourage you. 
I'm praying and believing God that you will press into God and you will ask him for this baptism. You will ask him to have that same experience that the apostles had 2,000 years ago. That's what prepares us for life on earth. That's what gives us the balance that we need. We understand that Jesus placed emphasis on being prepared spiritually for eternity. He told Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. It's that born again experience that prepares us for heaven. But it is the baptism that prepares us for life here on earth. But the equipping for us, the equipping for you not operating the kingdom of God doesn't stop there at the born again experience. We also must be prepared to live on earth. Somebody might say, as we talked about last week, uh, Pastor, how could, you, how could you compare life here on earth with what life is going to be like in eternity? No, I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is salvation prepared us for heaven. But what prepares us for life on earth? What prepares you and I to do the work of the ministry? And the work of the ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. What prepares us to, to let people see the evidence that Jesus is alive? It's the presence and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to do what? To be witnesses to him in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to live a life that demonstrates the reality of God in us. A life that is well-balanced, attracts people who want a stable life. People that are lost. Don't you remember when you were lost? I remember when I was lost. I wanted, I wanted to find somebody who had the answers. I was desperately looking for someone that I could follow. I was desperately looking for someone who would demonstrate stability in life. And the power of the Holy Spirit provides that for us. It's absolutely necessary. That's how people see that God is actually alive in us. Pentecost commemorates the fulfillment of God's promise to his people. That desire began with Jesus coming to earth. It continued through Passover, through the cross, with Jesus sacrificing himself to redeem us back to God. But the culmination took place on Pentecost when Emmanuel truly became God with us, filling us with his presence. One Bible teacher put it this way, sadly enough, the average Christian is bogged down someplace between Calvary and Pentecost. They've been to Calvary for pardon and forgiveness, but they've not yet been to Pentecost for power. Maybe this will help you. Bethlehem represents God with us. Calvary represents God for us, but Pentecost represents God in us. Yet most Christians continue to be like those people that Paul encountered at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And it happened when Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. They didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't know what he was talking about. Many Christians do not understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they're missing out. They have not appropriated the power of the Holy Spirit in their own personal lives. That is the key to transformation. Remember, what did they receive on Pentecost? Power, ability, 
efficiency. Those three words are all tied up in one Greek word. That is the word dunamis. That is the word where you and I get the word for dynamite. It's explosive power. That is what we receive when we press into God and we trust him and ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said we would receive it. All you need to do is ask, but ask in faith so that you receive. And in a very real way, the Holy Spirit needs to be received in faith, by faith, just like Jesus Christ needed to be received by faith. What do we have that power for? What does a dunamis exist in us to do? It's to be witnesses, to give evidence that Christ really lives in me, that Christ is living my life before all people, demonstrating the transformation that has taken place. Let me share with you what I've observed over these years. A person that is struggling and failing in recovery from whatever, you fill in the blank, has more of an empowerment problem than an addiction problem. I'm going to say that again so you can get that. A person who fails at conquering any type of an addiction, any type of life-controlling issue, any type of habit that is pulling that person contrary to the will of God in their lives, they are really suffering from an empowerment problem, not an addiction problem. We have seen addicts set free when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're born again already, but they're still walking in that, in that part of their life is in bondage. Part of their life is stuck. Part of their life is just, they feel trapped. It's like, I'm, I know I'm going to heaven, but while here on earth, I'm experiencing hell. I'm not experiencing freedom. It's because the baptism of the Holy Spirit has not been experienced yet. We have seen, Addicts. We have seen people struggling with major addiction. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and what rehabs couldn't do, what hospitalization couldn't do, they experienced because what they really needed was power, ability, efficiency that was beyond their own natural strength. As Christians, how are you and I supposed to live? The prophet Zechariah in the Old Testament, foreseeing what was going to happen in the New Testament, foreseeing this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would come upon the church, put it this way. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, not by human might, not by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how you and I are to live. We are to live by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Ghost that's in us. At Pentecost, at Pentecost, God offers us power to live transformed lives. We see the lives of the disciples before and after Pentecost. They're completely different. Well, pastor, they did receive the, the Holy Spirit on Easter Sunday night. Yes, on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus appeared to them. He breathed on them. You remember that? It's John, the end of the gospel, John, John chapter 20. He breathed on them. And they received, their spirit came alive. That was the born again experience. That was salvation. Yet, think about this, born again Peter still led the rest of the disciples to backslide. Pastor, what do you mean? This is what I mean. After Peter was born again, but before he experienced Pentecost, we have recorded for us in John chapter 21. Let me read it to you. In verse two, Simon Peter it talks about the disciples that were present. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. They all came together to meet. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. 
They said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. No hesitation. They all all born again. Every one of them were born again. But they got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. And Jesus shows up on the scene the next morning. And you could, I could imagine Jesus saying, what are you guys doing? You, you went backwards. They're born again. Their spirit is alive unto God. They're going to heaven. But born again, Peter still struggled in his soul. He decided, I'm going back. I'm going to make believe these past three years didn't even happen. I'm going back to what I know. He went back to fishing. And listen, the last time we see him in a fishing boat, the same exact thing happens. He's out all night and catches nothing. So what's your point, Pastor? My point is this. The disciples were all born again. The Holy Spirit lived in them, but they had not yet received the baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. So without that power, unfortunately, we can still live powerless lives. Without receiving the baptism, the the experience of Pentecost, they had been to Calvary. They saw Jesus. They they saw him resurrected. They put their faith in him. Their spirit came alive unto God. They're going to heaven, but they had not yet received the promise of the Father of the Holy Spirit upon them. And therefore, they all go back to what they used to do. They went back to what was comfortable because they weren't empowered enough to conquer those thoughts of doubt, to conquer those thoughts of what do we do now? Jesus is not with us anymore. What do we do now? He's not here. I pray that if you're in that position where you've received salvation, you're born again, you're going to heaven, but you have not yet been to Pentecost, I pray that the Spirit of God would minister to your heart so that you would have the faith and have the hunger and the desire to say, I want everything that Jesus died for. I want not only the salvation experience, I want to be prepared. I want to be equipped to live on this earth so that I can function and bring glory to God and I can lift up the name of Jesus and I can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I I can operate in the gifts of the spirit. I can literally be a supernatural manifestation of Jesus's promise to this earth. Peter, born again, going to heaven, experiences the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. And that same Peter who led most of the disciples to backslide and go backwards on the day of Pentecost, that same Peter gets up having experienced this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and preached in front of thousands. And what made the difference? The fire of the Holy Ghost. He boldly preached the truth about Jesus, how the people of Israel had missed it, how they needed to turn back to God, to the God of their fathers and acknowledge that Jesus was and is the long-awaited Messiah. And that day, 3,000 Jews became believers in Messiah. You notice You read through that, Acts chapter 2. You can literally read Peter's sermon. We don't see any fear. We don't see him compromising the truth. We see a brave, articulate man speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit anointing. Imagine what the rest of the disciples must have thought. Whoa, who is this guy? This isn't the same old put his foot in his mouth, Simon. Next, we see Peter and John healing a cripple. Right outside the gate, beautiful in the temple 
few more chapters, we see Peter raising dead Tabitha to life again. We see him going to a Roman military official's house named Cornelius, and everyone there was saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. The same Peter, the same Simon, the fisherman, the one who after the resurrection said, come on, guys, I'm going fishing again. Now, now, Simon has become Peter the Rock, as Jesus called him. It's generally true that people are always looking to improve, to change their lives for the better. That's why the self-help book section in any bookstore is usually the biggest section there is. That's also why there were so many commercials for diet and exercise products. Lots of people out there are trying to change their appearance for the better. People are always looking to improve, always looking to change. God is also interested in change. He's interested in changing you and he's interested in changing me. And there are certain things about you that God wants to change. What are those things? And how does God plan to do it? Again, I'll remind you what Zechariah said. Not by human might, not by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What's he saying? I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. But it's not going to come by your own human strength. It is not going to come by your willpower. It's not going to come because you've decided to read every book on the subject. It's not going to come because you're going to become so self-disciplined. It's going to come when we rely on the spirit of God's presence in us, when we let his grace fashion us and change us and shape us and mold us into the person that he wants us to be. Ask Jesus to give you that power. The same way he poured it out 2,000 years ago, it is still available. In fact, as long as people continue to come to salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit will always be available to us. Listen to this scripture. At the end of Peter's sermon, in Acts, recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, then Peter said to them, to the people that were there at the temple that day of Pentecost, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, repent, confess Jesus as your Lord, be baptized, be water baptized, which they probably did right in the spot there because those facilities were available in the temple. And then he said, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, this is important. For the promise is to you. What is the promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What was he saying? This is an experience that they had that morning, but it's going to extend out into eternity. As long as God is calling people to salvation, Jesus is making the baptism of the Holy Spirit available. It never stopped. Some of you may have been in churches where they taught that. I'm sorry to tell you, this scripture corrects that mistaken approach to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To as many as God shall call, this baptism of the Holy Spirit experience is available. God hasn't stopped calling people to himself. He's calling us to another upper room. Make your life another upper room. That was a place where they waited for 10 days. I'm not saying you have to wait 10 days. They waited 10 days, but the Holy Spirit came at the end of those 10 days and never left. He's here on earth. He indwells every believer. 
If you have not yet had that experience of Pentecost, I'm praying that what I've shared with you would, would incite, would inspire you, would ignite a fire on the inside of you. Because I want, if this is what Jesus, if this is part of what Jesus died for, then I want not only my salvation, I want to be equipped for life here on earth. I want to have the same power that operated in Jesus operating in me because he said I could. He's still calling today. And I advise you, come get the power. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that every person has watched this, every person, God, regardless of when the time frame is, Father, I pray that there would be a fire that would be lit on the inside, that there would be an overwhelming thirst and hunger to experience all that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Father, he said in John chapter 7 that we should experience this infilling, this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives once we believed. Father, for those of us that have already believed, those of us that are already born again, I pray God to the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon every individual who desires to walk in it, who desires to experience it. Father, for those who have not yet experienced salvation, Lord, I pray that they would come to realize that they need a savior. Father, that every single person would realize I'm a sinner. I want to be cleansed from my sin. I want to have a fresh start. I want to throw off all of this junk from my life and I want to walk free. Father, I pray that every single person has never prayed a very simple prayer would open up their heart to you and just say, Father, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is your son. I believe he died on the cross and that they would invite Jesus. Invite Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I acknowledge my faith in you. I want to be born again. I want to be spiritually alive unto the Father. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray that this weekend is going to stand out in your future, that you'll look back and say, that was the weekend where my life changed. That was the message that changed my life. That was the message that opened up my heart to receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. I trust that this has been a blessing to you. Thank you so much. I pray that you would share this message with everyone that you possibly can. This message is what makes the church the church. This message of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us is what equips us to do the work of the ministry and to represent Jesus in all of his fullness. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.